0: In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit, Amen. Come, Holy Spirit. Come, Holy Spirit. Come, Holy Spirit. Come through Mary. Jesus, again, we thank you, we praise you for this day. We thank you for this opportunity to receive a new and fresh encounter with you through your Holy Spirit. We ask you to fill and flood our minds and our hearts. Help us to be aware of your loving presence. You are laboring to love us in this moment. Renew us, transform us in your love. Give us joy and peace. We entrust ourselves. In this time, into the hands of our Mother Mary, we ask all of this through Jesus Christ, our Lord. Amen. Amen. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. Amen. So I have to apologize in advance because this is going to be a little bit disjointed, but the whole message that I want to convey is something that you already know very well, is that your life is the most important lesson that you can teach as a catechist. If you were to say the most amazing, amazing lessons, the most amazing expositions of the faith, but your life wasn't one that manifest that faith, we call that hypocrisy, right? And our students and whoever we're talking to see right through that, especially when you're talking about high schoolers, but also middle schoolers, really anyone. We just have this sense This person isn't buying what they're selling. This person's life isn't coherent with the message that they preach. And so I'm going to give some disjointed points about maybe some elements that would be a part of a lifestyle that is coherent for a catechist. So you might consider having a notebook open because it's going to be difficult to follow my train of thought if I'm bouncing around a little bit. The first uh, recommendation that I have is reiterating what I said in the first talk, and that is, this is the most important one in so many ways. Unless you have time of silence built in, especially to the beginning of your day, to be alone with the Lord, the rest of the day is just not going to click into place the way it should. Unless we have silent time with the Lord, with His Scripture, to give thanks to surrender ourselves, to repent. Whatever it is that we do in the silence doesn't matter so much as having the silence. The the only really bad prayer is the non-existent prayer, right? And so you can have all kinds of people share. It's like, oh, you know, Father, I pray throughout the day, and that is wonderful. But the Catechism says we cannot pray at all times unless we pray at specific times, specifically willing it. Right? So unless we're praying in pockets of time that are intentional prayer times, it's going to be impossible for us to have an ongoing relationship with the Lord in prayer throughout the day. So that is the first and most important one. And if there's one thing that you do as a result of this time, that you, if you weren't doing it before, to have 5, 10, 15 minutes, ideally 30 minutes. That's what I want to challenge anyone that's involved with passing on the faith We need to bump up our game. We need to bump up our time with the Lord. So I would say half an hour is the golden amount that we're looking to get to. If you're at zero minutes right now, then maybe five, ten minutes would be better, a better place to start. Better five and ten minutes every day than 30 minutes twice a week, okay? So the consistency is absolutely critical, 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 critical. It is in silence that we learn how to listen and the best teachers are the best listeners. That seems almost counterintuitive. The best teachers are the best speakers, right? Well, no, they have first learned how to listen well to the Lord in prayer and to listen to the people that they're trying to minister to and they have been first themselves good students listening to good teachers in their lives. And so this silence is the Presupposition is the pre-necessary condition in order to be a good teacher. Silence, silence, silence. This one I've been recently convicted of. I read this book, and I recommend it. It's called The Ruthless Elimination of Hurry. The Ruthless Elimination of Hurry. Just the title alone makes me want to read the book, right? Um, this was written not by a Catholic, but he is in some ways more Catholic in his writing than a lot of Catholic writers because he's quoting scripture. He's quoting even fathers of the church, um, but he convicted me, and I was already convicted before I read the book, how important it was to slow Down. There's just no way we can be attentive to the voice of the Lord if we have a frenetic pace and we're always moving on to the next thing and we leave no gap, no in-between space to hear, to listen. And I'm not just creating all of these principles out of nothing. (laughs) All of them are ultimately based on the life of Jesus, right? Jesus himself goes away by himself to a quiet place early in the morning, late at night, It is foundational for Him, and He's God, right? God could have gotten away with just teaching a lot and not listening and praying a lot. But He prayed a lot in order to show us that we need to pray a lot. So we need to have pockets of silence, especially at the beginning and the end of the day. And the second principle, this going slower, is also a Jesus principle. Did you... Have you thought about the fact that Jesus walked to every place that he went to? He did not drive anywhere, right? He certainly did not fly anywhere. Maybe after his resurrection and his resurrected body, you know, he could just kind of go from one place to another. He wasn't limited by space and time any longer. But Jesus walked everywhere. And that's a slow, slow process but it is conducive for relationship, conducive for him communing with his father as he walked and communing with the people that he walked with. And that leads me to the third and critical thing, us as catechists, is the life that we share with the people that we catechize. And I know that can be limited depending on what population you are ministering to, but Jesus, the most important ministry, if you want to put it in this category that he did, was the three years that he spent investing in those apostles. We should take some consolation in knowing that Jesus, the perfect master, the perfect teacher, the perfect discipler, there was still a rotten egg in the bunch, right? And still one fell away. So even Jesus' percentage wasn't 100% because of human free will. But Jesus' investment in those 11 in particular would be the foundation upon which the whole church would be founded. That is so amazingly important. This story is often used, but I think it's worth recalling again. Thinking about, if you invest really well in the one person, that one person can go a long way. Most people do not know the name Jan Tiranowski, but he changed the world in a dramatic way. As the priests were being rounded up in Poland, he took it upon himself to form living rosary groups in his parish. And he chose young people that could head up each one of these rosary groups, and they would be responsible for you know, the communal celebration, communal prayer, just being together in Christian community. And he saw the potential in one young man named Karol Watiwa, who would then go on to become John Paul II. But he pointed him in the way of prayer. Jan Tiernowski himself spent, I think, five hours of prayer early, early, early in the morning before he began his very simple lifestyle as a tailor. But the man was a mystic. He was deeply entrenched in John of the Cross and Teresa of Avila, and he passed that gift on to John Paul II. And the time that he spent with him would then lead John Paul II on this trajectory of a deep prayer life, spiritual life himself. But the most important ministry that John Paul II did before he became Pope and even into his time as Pope was the time that he spent with the young people, the young friends that he had, the young married couples And they would go on these camping expeditions. They would spend life together. And it was from those conversations that he would have with young couples that he would then write the book, Love and Responsibility. And it was from Love and Responsibility that we would get the theology of the body. He was talking to young married couples that were living it. And he was living in communion with them and learning and listening which then became part of his teaching in Love and Responsibility, which became part of his teaching in Theology of the Body. You see the trajectory here. A man who listened well in prayer, who listened well to the people that he ministered to, who was then able to teach well to the people that he was entrusted with, which would eventually be all of us as part of the universal church, as our father, as his role as the pope so incredibly important the time that we spend this is jesus's lasting legacy is the time that he spent with his apostles who would then invest into their into their disciples and that would carry on to today I think one of, one of, again, this is a little bit scattered, the, one of the principles that I would encourage all of us to grow in, especially as catechists, is the capacity to spontaneously pray with people for their needs, to pray for our students, whoever it is, for their needs. As a priest, but even, I'm sure, all of you, if you're surrounded by people of faith, people are always asking you, could you please pray for blank? I'm having this blank. Would you please pray for that? All the time, right? Which is so good, and we should be those people that are also asking other people for prayer too. However, usually, best case scenario, you remember what you said you would pray for, and then you would say maybe a few Hail Marys, a few Our Fathers for it, which is great, absolutely beautiful. The most efficacious prayer relationally with that person is to pray with that person right then and there which also avoids the other pitfall of I forgot what I was gonna pray for right and it's good to pray for what all all the things that we promised to pray for that we can't remember right that's a always a good umbrella thing but as a priest I found it so powerful and even before I was a priest someone would ask me to pray and when I was more intentional I would say is it okay if I pray with you right now? People are like, yeah, of course. And so to just send up a simple prayer, and it doesn't need to be amazing, it doesn't need to be beautiful or whatever, it just needs to come from your heart. And a general format of a prayer that you say out loud is giving thanks to God for something, asking God for whatever you want. That's basically it, right? So this person is struggling with a little bit of anxiety. Jesus, I just want to thank you so much. You love us so much. Jesus, I thank you for the gift of this, my friend. I see the beautiful heart that they have. And I ask you, Jesus, I want you to just give them the gift of peace right now. And I ask this in your name. Amen. Right? It does not need to be five minutes long but just saying it out loud and Pope Francis talks about this in Evangelii Gaudium, the joy of the gospel as well. It is so powerful for the person receiving it because they're like, wow, this has been brought to the Lord and my relationship with this person has grown because it's a vulnerable thing, one to ask for prayer and then two to pray out loud for that person. So I would love for us to grow in our ability to have the courage to be vulnerable In these situations, both asking for prayer and spontaneously praying for that need. I'm telling you, it will go such a long way. As a chaplain at Bishop Ward, I have a number of students that aren't Catholic. And so um, in order to help the Catholics get to confession as well, I say everyone is going to come and talk to me one-on-one. If you're not Catholic or you're not comfortable going to confession, I'd just like you to have something that I can pray for right then and there. And this isn't like just a consolation prize. This is a game changer because it's vulnerable for them to share something that they need prayers for. And it's a game changer for me to be able to hear it and to ask the Lord Jesus to bless them in there, bless them right then and there and whatever needs they have for their family, whatever else. It is so powerful. So powerful and of course that is something that Jesus was always doing. He was always lifting up prayers right then and there. Basically, all of the miracles that took place, Jesus was present asking for it to happen when it happened, right? So that is not to say that miracles didn't happen. Jesus did pray remotely for different people to be healed, and they were healed. But more often than not, It wasn't just because he wanted the miracle to happen, but they wanted to hear. He wanted them to hear and experience his voice, his touch in the process of the healing, because it's more human that way. We can have an impact remotely, but Jesus wants us to be person to person, face to face, hand in hand, shoulder to shoulder in our ministry with the people that are entrusted to us. And then this goes hand in hand with just being more intentional about lifting up prayer in the moment, before you give a class, before you go into an endeavor, before you have a meeting, before you do just about anything, especially if, it, if, if the responsibility falls on you to do any speaking or leading, beg the Holy Spirit, <laughs> beg the Holy Spirit, Please, enlighten my words. Make them efficacious. Send down a spirit of wisdom. Send down a spirit of revelation. Let let the words pierce their hearts. Let the word pierce my heart. I can't tell you how many times I've prayed the prayer as I walk from the presider chair over to the ambo. And as I'm kneeling, I am begging the Lord, not just because I haven't prepared a homily, But also because I know unless the Holy Spirit is in my words, it's not going to be efficacious. And so I say a simple prayer, your words, Jesus, not mine. Your glory, Lord, not mine. And I think that's just such an important habit for us to get into. And it also takes, again, the pressure off us when we do need to be giving those words and doing that leading knowing that we've asked the Holy Spirit to do the heavy lifting already for us. Beg the Holy Spirit for those words. As I said at the beginning, your life is the most important lesson. And to demonstrate this point, if you think about the teachers that have had the biggest impact on you, Very likely, what they taught, the words, the content of their class was of secondary importance in how they impacted you. First and foremost was your personal relationship with that teacher, how they believed in you, how they supported you, how they challenged you. Those were the elements that changed your life. So especially if you do feel ill-equipped to give the content of whatever you have to present in your class or whatever you're doing in the leadership, it's such a consolation, again, to know that who we are and how we relate to that person is far more important and life-changing than the content itself. The content, of course, is Jesus Christ, so it doesn't get much more important and powerful than that but they receive the content of Jesus Christ through our humanity, through our relationship with that person. And they experience Jesus' love through our love and our care and consideration for them. So I cannot emphasize that enough. And again, that by lifting up their needs in those individual spontaneous prayers is one of those concrete ways of doing that. One of the things I was thinking about, including in the first talk, I think is super important for all of us, is to be able to communicate our own story well, to be able to tell our own story. Again, if we give all of the content of the Gospels of whatever class and all of these things... But if the students perceive that it hasn't had an impact on our life or hasn't been a part of our journey, they're not gonna hear it as much. Even the things I'm telling you now, (laughs) the things that are most gonna stick with you are the ones that I've connected a personal story with because I've lived it in some way. So you too should be able to share your story. It's like a student comes up to you, how did you really own your faith for the first time how did you decide to really become a practicing catholic how did you decide to become a catechist you should be able to tell that story and it's so important for us to tell our story because it is it's kind of like a married couple one of, that's one of the best questions you can ask when you're over having dinner with a couple is like so how did you meet tell me your story and it would be very strange if they didn't know how to describe how they got to that moment in their life, right? How are you married with these kids in front of them? Tell us the story. It would likewise be, should be very strange for any of us not to be able to share how we got to this point in our relationship with the Lord. So that is something that I would encourage you to ask others tell me a little bit about your story of faith. Tell me about your relationship with Jesus and how that developed. And likewise, to be able to be more ready to share that with others. A couple more things. If you were to think about a sponge being placed in different kinds of water, it makes sense that when you wring out that sponge, it's whatever it absorbed is what's gonna come out, right? Imagine that your brain is that sponge and it's being put into all different contexts and environments. And the healthier, cleaner environment you put the sponge into The cleaner the water is going to be when it's wrung out, right? It's such a simple truth, and yet we put our brains, we put our souls in such dirty contexts, and it pollutes the words that come out of our mouth. It pollutes the actions that we do, right? So we as catechists, as leaders, just as Christians, we need to be so vigilant about what we are Are putting into our senses. What are we listening to? What are we watching or reading? Who are the people around us? What are the activities that we do with our spare time? And here's the really cool part, we have an amazing amount of control over those things. Yes, you have your specific workplace and you have your family, so those are pretty stable. If your work is terribly toxic, it's time to withdraw. (laughs) And I'm not talking about the church, because the church can be pretty toxic at times too, right? (laughs) But it is so important that we, to the extent that we have the choice, choose things that lead us to a deeper relationship with Jesus. Again, such a simple criteria. Is this book that I'm about to read, this show that I'm about to watch, whatever this thing is that I'm about to listen to, this podcast, this music, this radio station, is this going to help me directly in my relationship with God or not? Anything that is true, good, and beautiful will do this. It need not be explicitly Christian for it to build us and draw us closer to Jesus, right? But be careful when it comes to movies and shows that we say, well, the majority of it is good. Well, what about that little piece right and this is a super crude this is a super crude metaphor Uh, well let's all shift it let's say this at what point if someone were putting poison in brownie batter would you say you know what that's a little bit too much poison you know like okay you've crossed my Poison threshold for those brownies right it's like I don't want poison with any poison in it right no poison that's my criteria right only things that are true good and beautiful and I'm becoming increasingly vigilant and extreme about this because we just can't mess around with it our, our society and so much of the media that's being thrown at us is thro- it has so much toxicity in it and it has way more than a small amount and so we need to be so vigilant about that. And yes, same for social media. Well, it's good for me to be in touch with this person and that person and whatever. It's like, okay, I understand that, but there's a whole lot of other poison that's that is built into those platforms that undermines the good that you're receiving out of it. I was just listening to a talk yesterday. She studies um, the iGen. So I generation or generation Z are the people born 1994, 1995, and afterwards. The millennial generation is basically 82, 84, and afterwards. And it's very interesting because right about the year 2012 is when this, the depression, anxiety, self-harm, suicide rates started notably increasing in very, very quick Fashion that broke the tendency that was growing up until 2012. It was already growing, but then inexplicably, it just shot up. What's going on here? Well, if you look at it sociologically, 2012, the majority of the population for the first time had a smartphone and the majority of the population, 85% of young people were on social media every day. It is not just a correlation. It is causation. The more we use our phones, especially for social media, and the more we're on social media, the more depressed, the more anxious we are going to be. And so I also gave a graduation speech at my alma mater, and uh, probably not a super popular move that I made, but I had them get out their phones if they had it. And I had them delete their social media apps just right then and there. I'm like, you can re-download it right after this talk, but I, I just want to see that you have the power to do so, right? Yeah, it wasn't received super well. But, <laughs> it, 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 but I hope at least one is like, you know what? Today is going to be the day. And it was, Facebook was a, a hard thing for me to die to because the more you're on it, the more of your life is on it, right? And the harder it is to leave it behind. All those pictures and all these things. As a side note, you can have all those downloaded before you delete the account. So you can hold on to them. I haven't actually looked at them. Who would have thought, you know, even after doing all of that. But I've found so much more peace and happiness. And I share this often. But I did not. Now I actually forget that people live in this totally other world. I forget that people are on this, in this virtual world for a lot of their life. I forget that it even exists. And it is a beautiful place to be. Because if I need to get in touch with someone, I have their phone number. I can even FaceTime them. I can spend actual time with them. And looking at other people's posts and pictures does not actually put you in relationship with that person, right? It has enough of truth, beauty, and goodness to keep us coming back to it. But it is not actually good for our souls and not actually good for those relationships, yeah, especially when it leads to comparison or the feeling of being left out and all of these things that it can lead to. It is just simply not worth it. So off of my soapbox when it comes to social media, that is really a big one. But it's also so important. One thing we do have control over is who we spend our time with as friends. We are entering into a time, I believe, It's 40 or 50 percent, I think of men, but probably of women, to say they only have one or no friends that they can really share things with. And that is such a sad reality. Our friends are among the greatest gifts that we can have in this life. People ask me frequently, what's your hobby, Father? What do you like to do? I say, I like to do relationships for my hobby. I like to be in relationship with people. I like to have meals with them. I like to have good conversation with them. This is what I love to do more than anything else. And it is the thing that money cannot buy. And it's the one thing we can choose to be intentional about in moving away from relationships that are compromising us and toward relationships. And this is the cool thing. You can actually... Hopefully try to pursue relationship with people that you know are better than you and holier than you, right? I want to be around those people because that's what I'm going to become like whereas if I'm with people that are Clearly living in a way that I know I don't want to be Don't hang out with them because that's what you will become you will become the five people that you spend the most time with so to choose our friendships well In both our friends and our social media, this thought came to me. We've become really, 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 really choosy when it comes to our diets and our food. How about we have that same kind of selectivity when it comes to the things that we're listening to, watching, and the people that we spend time with, okay? That is the criteria. So if we can be choosy with food, we'd better be choosy with the things that are forming our thoughts, which then form our actions, which then form our character. It doesn't, the stakes don't get much higher than that. the last thing that I want to share, I think I'll, I will also reiterate it in the homily. I was listening to the Catholic Stuff You Should Know podcast. And I don't listen to it all the time, but I really appreciate their reflections. And one of the priests there shared that another priest had shared with him how he does his examination of conscience at the end of the day, or what we would call maybe the examine prayer. Examination of conscience more has has more of the connotation of thinking of the things that we did wrong during the day. The examine prayer is more of, how did I experience Jesus' love today? And how did I not correspond to Jesus' love today? But the way that this priest shared that, he, the way he did his examine, he asked the question, what did I do with Jesus today? What did I not do with Jesus today? I think if we were to use those questions as part of our prayer, whether it's at the end of the day, at the beginning of the day, I think that would be so, it would be, it would just lead us to a greater awareness of what it's all about. To abide in him. Abide in my love, Jesus says in John 15. Abide in my love. As the Father has loved me, so I love you. Abide in my love. I used to think it was kind of abstract thinking. Oh, it's like, what did I do with Jesus today? What are you talking about? But the awareness that Jesus is with me is growing within me. I'm not. I'm not standing up here saying like, I'm always talking and being with Jesus. I, I wish that were the case, but I am growing in my capacity. And I know when I'm intentionally doing things that are not with Jesus, right? I'm making this decision not based on what's going to help my relationship with him, but what do I want to do to the detriment of myself or other people? This is the harder, this is the easier thing, but this is the thing that is harder, but I think is ultimately the thing that Jesus wants to do with me. Right, You think about that priest going to the hospital when he didn't want to, when he wasn't well disposed, it was late at night. He did that with Jesus. And because he did it with Jesus, he was able to see Jesus' healing being poured out through his interaction with that family. So that was a lot. Those are a lot of the elements that I think would be a part of a lifestyle of one who is being transformed by Jesus and whose life is becoming the best possible lesson they can give to those that have been entrusted to them. Again, I don't expect you and I don't encourage you to try to do all of those all at once, but I would love for you to focus on one or two and to say, okay, here's something that I'm especially convicted of. An area that I feel like I'm weak in or an area that I know is compromising me more so than others. And I'm going to really double down on that one. So I'm going to leave more space for Jesus to come in and transform me in those areas. So we'll conclude in prayer in the name of the Father and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. Amen. Jesus, You are Lord. You are our Lord. You are our Savior. You are our life. You are our hope. You are our joy. Jesus, help us to live with You, to make decisions, to engage in activities, that bring us in deeper relationship with you so that we might be transformed, so that our lives are the most important and powerful lesson in drawing those who have been entrusted to us closer to you. Jesus, in your name, I cast out anything from our midst that would prevent us from recommitting to you. Any fear, any pride any hardness of heart in jesus in your name i invite in a new spirit of fortitude a spirit of courage a spirit of love that drives out all fear a spirit of repentance Jesus, help us to recommit ourselves to You. Help us to be with You and to do nothing without You. And may Almighty God bless You and keep You and seal any good fruit that this time has borne for You. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit, Amen.